0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. All right, let's dive into God's Word now as we continue our verse-by-verse study of the the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 2 through 4. Go ahead and open up your Bibles there. If you're a guest with us, welcome to River Bible Church. If you don't have a Bible, uh, go ahead and stand up, grab one. We got them in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 6, let me review from last Sunday. We looked at verse 1, and we learned how not to be someone that we're not. Jesus taught us how not to wear a mask. We, we talked about hypocrisy. We, you know, he warned us how easy it is to fall into the temptation of being a hypocrite. And it's easy to fall into that temptation because we want people to like us. But he also taught us how to live out of this new identity that he's given to us. This new identity that comes from his blood, that was on a Roman cross, the new identity that comes from an an empty grave. That's our new identity. Our new identity is in him and him alone. A couple key points from last week. We said that hypocrisy is the outward sin of using religion to cover up inward sin. So we could say it this way, hypocrisy is the outward sin, it's a show, right, of using religion, so we could say God's word or traditions or rituals, to cover up this inward sin. Because I'm just not sure that I want you to know who I really am. See, the more traditions you have, the more rituals you have in your life, the further away that you get away, you get from the relationship. We said that hypocrisy is never treated lightly in scripture. Hypocrisy is a sin. Well, today Jesus gives us his first illustration of hypocrisy. He provides the example of money and how to give it away. So over the next two weeks, Jesus provides really two more illustrations of hypocrisy. We're going to look at prayer and fasting. So we've got money, we've got prayer and fasting as these word pictures that are relating to hypocrisy. All three of these are tied together. And really it seems that Jesus is working his way backwards here with these three illustrations. Because when you learn how to fast, you learn how to pray. And when you learn how to pray, you know how to handle money. So in other words, we could say it this way. Out of fasting comes prayer, and out of prayer comes our giving. And I couldn't help but notice how Jesus ties in hypocrisy with money here. I mean, think about how close hypocrisy was to Jesus the entire time that he was teaching the disciples. I mean, Judas, right? He's the poster boy for hypocrisy. So I've got two primary points this morning, because money and giving many times are unpopular subjects, especially within the church, uh, because number one, it's, it's abused, and number two, we don't understand money biblically. There are 2,350 verses on money, over 2,000. You know how long it took me to count 2,350 verses? <laughs> Do you guys appreciate that? <laughs> thank you, Kim. <laughs> In a way. I've got Logos to thank for that as well. You know, that's, that's more scripture than the topics of, of heaven, hell, or faith. So obviously, the Lord has a lot. He's got a lot to say about money. So my objective this morning is to teach the text, and then I'm going to offer some suggestions on how to make the subject of money less fearful in our own lives. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by them. Truly, I tell you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Dear friends, these are the the words from the Lord Jesus within the inerrant, the infallible, the inspired living word of Almighty God. Please be seated. Well, let's dive into verse 1 here. Be careful not to practice your righteousness, in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So, verse one is what we studied last week. And now, in verse two, as we go, Jesus gives us a common example of how people are hypocrites. Verse two, he says So, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by these people. Truly, I I tell you, they've got their reward. That phrase there, whenever you give to the poor, your translation may say, whenever you give alms, whenever you give a charitable deed. The the picture that Jesus is painting in verse 2 is that of mercy. Mercy should be familiar to us, right? One of our beatitudes that we study, Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful. For they will be shown mercy. So when you give money to someone who is truly poor, you show compassion. The actual Greek word there has mercy at its root. So the three primary ways that giving was done in the first century. Money, food, and clothing. Notice here that Jesus says whenever you give money to the poor. He doesn't say if. Giving money, food, and clothing away is an expectation from Jesus. Uh, This this form of mercy is nothing new to the Jews. God's people were continually reminded throughout the Old Testament. Uh, They were to be considerate of and generous to the poor. It doesn't matter if you were another Israelite or a Gentile. People are people. And God commands us to have mercy on everyone regardless of the race. So back to verse 2, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now, this is an interesting verse because up to this point, there's no evidence from history or archaeology that Jews used a literal trumpet to announce their giving. It seems highly unlikely that they would allow a loud instrument like a trumpet to be blown at random in the temple. I mean, it's, it is possible that we get that phrase, you know, blow your own horn, you know, from this verse, but I, w- I want you to think about it. Can you imagine someone in the foyer of our church standing by the tithing boxes, and every time one of us donated, they would, they would blow a trumpet, right? Ah! That, that was <laughs> and I've been practicing Or if someone gave a lot of money, we would use a tuba. (laughs) Let everybody know. Or if somebody just tips God, you know, they throw 20 in the plate there, all you get is a little whistle. (laughs) That's it. That's all you get. No. See, most likely, they didn't allow that in the temple, just like we don't allow that here. So there is a second option for our interpretation here it appears that Jesus is really poking fun. He's really showing some Hebrew humor here for those who want to be noticed about their giving. Inside the temple, there were 13 donation boxes that they were narrow at the top and they were wide at the bottom. And they, it, it kind of looked like this. This is a ram's horn. So the, the, when the people would put money in here, it would roll down into the, the larger part of the, uh, of the box. Uh, they were designed so people couldn't steal money from them. So obviously it's, it's hard to get your hand in here. Um, <laughs> we had a, someone a few months back asking me why we don't take an offering during the service. And, and this particular verse came to my mind when we were talking. And I said something like, well, you know, we got two boxes in the foyer, but they're locked so you can't make any change. (laughs) Yeah, needless to say, we haven't seen him back. (laughs) He didn't appreciate my wit. And I'm not very witty. Ask Amy, she'll tell you. I, I thought it was pretty good. So all that to say this, these, these boxes, they, they resembled a ram's horn or some kind of trumpet. And although nobody blew any physical trumpets in the, in the temple, most likely, these donation boxes did make a unique sound as people dropped in the money. So people who wanted to be noticed, they, they would drop all this money in at one time. And just, just imagine the noise. That all the racket this would make, stick a bunch of money in here and all all the jingling and, you know, come down and thud, right? That practice of doing that is called sounding the trumpet. And it was this practice that Jesus is most likely referring to here in this verse. And obviously he opposes all of this. So verse 2, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. Don't drop in all your coins at one time, rattling that trumpet, sounding the trumpet, getting people to notice you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be applauded by the people. Oh, thank you for your large donation. That We, just, we, we love you. We appreciate you so much. He calls them hypocrites for doing this. We spent a lot of time talking about hypocrites last Sunday, so I'm going to be brief here. I've got a a pastor friend um, who tells the story of a first time visitor in his church who went way out of his way to give a first time donation directly to the pastor. And the pastor did the same thing that, that I pretty much did. I said, Well, you know what? Donation boxes are in the foyer. That's how we do it. And the visitor said this He said, Well, no worries, Pastor. I know how the system works. And then he forces the check into the pastor's hand and he says, you know what? You're going to be getting one of those every time I'm here. The pastor was not impressed. Needless to say, that guy never returned either. I mean, how easy would it have been for him just to drop the check in the box? Just like everybody else, or even better yet, to donate online to where nobody sees anything. So here's key point number one. Financial hypocrites make a point of giving publicly when they could easily give privately. Financial hypocrites make a point of giving publicly when they could easily give privately. In Mark's gospel, Jesus presents someone doing it right. This is such a great story. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. So sitting across from the temple treasury, uh, the temple treasury, all these donation boxes. Jesus, he's watching the crowd drop money into these boxes. And many rich people were putting in large sums. So these rich people, they're sounding the trumpet to draw attention to themselves. And Jesus is off to the side. He's watching this. Verse 42, a poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, truly, I, I tell you guys, look, this poor widow has put more into the, into the treasury than all the others. So the context here is Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue for probably hours, and, and they're taking a break. So Jesus probably eating a piece of bread, a piece of fruit, He's just, he's getting away from the crowds. He's people watching in church. He sees this happen and he says, he says to the apostles, guys, come here. Look at this. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Now the apostles are probably thinking, well, wait a second. How, how, how is it possible that this woman put in more than all the rich folks? What are you talking about? Jesus I mean, her her amount equaled less than a penny. And Jesus can read their minds, right, literally, when the Father uh, allows that. And he says, they gave out of their surplus. They didn't need the money. They they gave out of the surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything that she had. So Jesus, his, his statement here is so profound, he reiterates it. Guys, listen, she gave all she had to live on. Holy smokes. That's some crazy kind of faith. Key point number two, our giving is an act of worship. Our giving is an act of worship. It's it's an act of worship because our money is connected to our hearts. Back to verse 2, whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, whenever Jesus says, truly I tell you, that's what, listen up. They've got their reward. They've got their reward. What is it? The reward is the recognition and the praise from other people. That, that phrase there uh, really is an expression that business people use to complete a financial transaction in the first century. It's this idea of something being paid in full. The language that Jesus uses for rewards here, it is decisive. So in other words, the men's praise, that's all they will ever get. That's all they are capable of receiving. And the reality is, is that hypocrites don't actually give anything away. What they're doing is they're buying, and their reward, that men's praise, is what they've paid for. Now, does this mean that we are not to to give openly? Is it wrong to give openly? Must all of our giving be anonymous? Well, not necessarily. In Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sold a field, He laid all the proceeds at the apostles' feet. We also know that Ananias and Sapphira, husband and wife, they also sold some land, just like Barnabas. But when they laid the money at the apostles' feet, they were struck dead. Now, what's the the difference? They They both gave openly, the apostles knew, the church witnessed this. What's the difference? Why was Barnabas spared, but not Ananias and Sapphira? Well, the difference is a hard issue. They lied about it. The motive of, of Barnabas was to fund the church. His motive was pure. His giving was an act of worship. The motive for Ananias and Sapphira, that was deception. Their giving was simply an act. See, they wanted to appear more spiritual, Than they really were. They were wearing masks. They were playing the role of a hypocrite. And it's in this text today that Jesus is concerned about how giving is done because our our actions speak louder than words. So, in other words, what we do trumps what we say we believe. So, let's now fast forward 2,000 years. Has anything changed? Giving is still to be noticed. I mean, if it wasn't, why does the world publish list of all their donors? Right? We got the lifetime members over here. We got the presidents' club over here. We've got the century club over there. We've got churches and parachurches. They are not immune from this temptation. They fall into it too. I mean, you can get your name on a certain brick on the building, or maybe you can hang up a little plaque, or my favorite, you can buy your own sanctuary seat. The cheap ones are in the back, you know, the the closer that you get here. But Lord have mercy if you buy your seat and you come back next Sunday and somebody's sitting in it. Oh, that's a bad deal right there. (laughs) I've got stories, by the way, not people buying seats, but somebody sitting in your seat. Just beware, I know. <laughs> Verse 3, but when you give to the poor, don't let your hand know what your right hand is doing. So this phrase from Jesus is a bit odd. Both of our hands almost always work in unison. We lift with both hands, we carry things, we catch things, uh, we use both hands to, to, uh, in our work when we play and have our hobbies. That phrase there, to to not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, is possibly an expression that referred to doing something spontaneously. So in other words, if you see a person in need, you give. And you do it without hesitation, you do it with joy, don't overthink it, just give. And then, here's the key, right? You forget about it. In other words, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. The most satisfying giving and the giving that God blesses is that which is done and it's forgotten. It is done in love and it's done out of a a need. And when that need is met, we just go about our day. We're not going to stand around waiting for a trumpet to be blown. We're not going to be standing around asking for a tax deductible receipt We don't want the recognition. Why? Because we're disciples of Jesus. We don't need to be applauded by people. Our our joy comes from being known and forgiven by God. Verse 4, Jesus says, So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we got a whole lot of secrecy going on. Uh, it's not the wicked type of secrecy, it's, it's the good. This is a divine kind of secrecy. See, our purpose as Christians is, is, it should be to meet the need that we can meet and then leave all the bookkeeping to God. So at the onset, I, I mentioned that, that giving money away is an unpopular subject for two reasons abused. We don't understand it biblically or money biblically. So let's talk about the abuse first. It's important for us to realize that people have always abused money. Whether it was silver, whether it was gold, whether it was cattle in the Old Testament, whether it's the printed money today. And we can bank on the fact that it's people are going to continue abusing others. Secondly, we live in a time where there has never been more requests for your money. Through technology, through social media, every church, every parachurch ministry, every secular nonprofit has its hand out. There are 1.8 million churches and nonprofits asking for your money here in the United States. 1.8 million. I mean, the sheer volume of that seems like abuse. But, see, if we don't understand money biblically, we're going we're to allow that to weigh on us. But if we do understand money biblically, it's, it's going to take that tension away. So I'm going to give you some, some thoughts and some key points here. Some of these will resonate with you. Some of them won't. And I pray that you can at least take one of them home and apply this to your finances uh, for the new year. So let's start at the very very beginning here. Before all the silver and gold. Genesis 1:1. All right, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. All right, key point number 3. God owns everything. God owns everything. And not just from Genesis to Revelation, But, guys, from the foundations of the world to the new heavens and earth. Key point number four God owns you through redemption. God owns you through redemption, through his blood, and through that empty grave. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 You are not your own. Why? Because you were bought at a price. That's why we purposely sang today, Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. So before I move on, I just want to make sure we're on the same page, right? God is sovereign over the economy. God is sovereign over inflation. God is sovereign over retirement. God is sovereign in 2023. He's sovereign in the new year. He's not not up He's not pacing in heaven, wringing his hands, worried about the world's economy. He's not doing that. We are to trust and pray that God is a God of provision. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who sees. He is the God who provides. And we see God's provision all through scripture. However, along with God's sovereignty, there's also human responsibility. So God's not going to mail your payroll check or your retirement check from heaven, is he? We have a a responsibility. He uses other people to do that. And there are consequences and serious consequences if we neglect our responsibility. Proverbs 6.6, great example of this. Go to the ant, you slacker. You observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader... Without an administrator or a ruler, it prepares, notice that word, it plans its provisions in the summer. It gathers its food during harvest. Oh, how, how long will you stay in bed, you slacker? When are you going to get out of that bed? When are you going to get up from that sleep? And the slacker says, oh, just... A little bit more sleep. Just a little slumber. Let me, just, let me just fold my arms. Let me just get a little bit more sleep. Look at this, verse 11. God says your poverty will come on you like a robber. Otherwise, otherwise, when you least expect it, bam. Your needs, same thing, like a bandit. So, in other words, God has given us a brain. He wants us to use it. Work is not a part of the curse in Genesis 3. Work is a reflection of God's character. Work was given before the fall in Genesis chapter 2. Now, when it comes to your giving, let me suggest making a budget for your giving or making it a part of your budget. If you don't have a budget, let me suggest a book called The Total Money Makeover. By Dave Ramsey, that's going to help you get started. Either that or Crown Financial Ministries. Uh, Both of those will help you get started with budgets. It is the beginning of the year, so really this is a a great time to to look at doing some kind of exercise for your, 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 uh, your finances. So ask yourself, what are the priorities in 2023? Do you need to fix the house? Maybe you want a new car. Maybe you want to go on vacation. All those things are, the redhead gets a little excited every once in a while. (laughs) You got to plan those things out. Uh, And then you plan your, your giving according to biblical principles. So a biblical principle is key point number five. You got to tell your money where to go. Tell your money where to go. We don't want it the other way around. That's a bad deal. Now, Scripture only talks about two ways to give. So let's talk about those. Uh, The first is to the local church, and the second is to the poor. So let's look at the the church first. I'm going to read Malachi 3 here. Notice how specific God is with this command, and then notice also the reward that comes from him and not man. This is amazing. Malachi 3, verse 10, bring the full 10th, the full 10th there. That's what's known as a tithe. A tithe is the first 10% of your gross income. God says, bring that into the storehouse. The storehouse is the, the local church. Now, why would God say that? He goes on to say, so that there may be food in my house. See, the primary role of the local church is to teach the doctrine of the apostles. It is to give the congregation spiritual food. And God says, huh, you don't like that? Well, let me double down on you. Test me in this way. And see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you. Look at this. Without measure. God says, you do do that. You can't even count the number of blessings. This really, Malachi 3.10 is an amazing promise from God because nowhere else in Scripture does God allow us to test Him. It's only with money. Now, the New Testament contains no commands like this. And the reason for that is that the Holy Spirit reveals the percentage and the amount to us individually. The Apostle Paul talks about giving in both 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and, and save in keeping with how you're prospering. So the idea here is from what God has given you, you are to give to the church. Paul says, do that on the first day of the week. Do it weekly. Now, interesting, why would he, why would he make that a priority? He makes it a priority because there's, there's something supernatural to writing that check every week or two weeks. Whenever you get paid, it doesn't matter. Um, but writing that, that physical check, it is a, a, a beautiful reminder of God's grace in our lives. We write the check, we're we're to pause, we're we're to thank God for his provisions and his grace in our life. And then secondly, Paul says, make sure you save. Save an amount for a rainy day. Now, when I used to uh, write checks, I pay everything online now, but when I used to write checks, I'd write that tithing check out and I would say, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Stick it in the envelope and give it away kind of do the same thing when I tithe online. I get on there, fill out a little form, right? I uh, pray the same prayer. Thank you, Lord. Click. Same thing. He wants us to acknowledge where our provisions are coming from. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. He, goes, he says this, I considered it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the generous gift that you promise so that it will be ready as as a gift and not as extortion. The point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. And in verse 7 here, we see the same exact principle. Each person, person... should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, not out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. So rather than the Old Testament law of a tithe, the New Testament says, give whatever you want. It's up to you as long as it brings you joy. Paul goes on to say, don't let anybody anybody guilt you into anything. So key point number five. And really, here's the New Testament principle when it comes to giving to the church. Decide what you're going to give from a joyful heart and do it systematically. In other words, do it weekly or biweekly. The great thing about budgeted, systematic giving, and it's not based on, on how much or how little we have. It doesn't matter how much we make. We simply start with that amount and we give it consistently. Now, here's where the topic of finances And all this giving stuff, it lowers our anxiety. When someone asks, so you've made this decision. When someone asks you next week to give to their organization, you can say something like this. Key point number six. Hey, thanks for letting me know about your ministry. I've already planned my giving for this year. But I'll be happy to pray for your ministry. Thanks for sharing everything. I've I've already planned my giving for this year, but I'm happy to pray for your ministry. It's kind of like when you get all the the mail, right? You you know you're not going to give to it, but I had a pastor friend of mine tell me what what he does. He holds it in his hand, he prays for the ministry, and then he throws it away. Isn't that great? That's good. So I, I don't know. I pray that that lowers the anxiety a little bit. It does mine. Why? Because there's a plan. There is a confidence in telling your money where to go. So that's what Scripture says about giving to the church. The second form of giving that Scripture talks about here is giving to the poor. We are called to give directly to those in need when we have the ability and the opportunity. Key words here are in need. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, He says, Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from every brother or sister who is idle, does not live according to the traditions received from us. For you yourselves know how you should imitate us. We were not idle among you, we did not eat anyone's food free of charge. Instead, look at this we labored, we toiled, we worked. We worked and we just didn't work. We worked night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you. Is it not that we, it's not that we don't have the right to for your support, but we did it to make ourselves an example so that you would imitate us. In fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you if anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. So, this instruction. Carries over from the Old Testament to the New. Verse 11, for we hear that some of you are idle. Some of you are, are, are busy. You're not busy, but you're busy bodies. Verse 12, so now we command, we exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ. Get a job. Get a job. And work Quietly. And provide for yourself. But as for you, do not grow weary in doing good. Giving, biblical giving is a a sign of the cross. When you give to the church, that's a sign vertically, points to God. When you give to the poor, it's a horizontal. Note here what the Apostle Paul is saying um, when it comes to people begging for money. Scripture clearly says not to support healthy beggars. Those who have the capacity to work, they must work. If not, we as the church, we're enabling them to stay poor. We're not doing them any favors. However, as, a, as, a, uh, as Christians, as someone who loves other people, as a sign of compassion, uh, we are to always err on the side of generosity, we are to give freely what God has given us. Because we're, we're never going to outgive God. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? That God doesn't need your money, but you do need to give it away. And when you give your money away, it reveals the marvelous and the miraculous work that God has done in your hearts by His grace. It's by His grace that we can take our next breath. It's by His grace we we got clothes on our back. It's by His grace that we're sitting here with our church family today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us these biblical principles when it comes to finances. Lord, I pray that As we consider this text and and we're working things out for our finances for this year, that you lead us, that you guide us, and you direct us. You tell us what to do here. And once you've you've spoken, that we are obedient, and we bring you so much honor and glory and, and reverence from that. May our giving be one that's done in secrecy just like our quiet time, just like our prayers, This is just another extension of who we are as a blood-bought child of God. So thank you, Lord, and thank you for your provisions in this day. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. Amen.